Hi, I'm Jeff Scoop, and this is uh, Beyond Barriers. I'm here with uh, Jen Christ today, and we are going to be talking about all kinds of subjects and uh, covering all kinds of different things. Uh, um, just so the listeners or, or the viewers know a little bit about who we are, our experience, and, and where we came from, I'd like to start with, uh, with Jen. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself, please? Yep. Hi, I'm Jen. Um, I am a former in a way. Uh, I was raised in the movement. My father is August Christ. He was once leader of Aryan Nations. Before that, he was involved in the Klan for a very long time. Um, he is now serving prison time. He received 50 years for uh, childhood sexual abuse. Um, that he had done to my younger siblings, my sisters. All right, uh, thank, thank you so much for, uh, for being here tonight uh, with us, Jen, uh, bringing your expertise to the program. You know, as, as uh, Jen said, she was uh, raised in the movement. My story is, uh, you know, I was involved with the National Socialist Movement for 27 years, 25 of those years uh, running the organization. We don't want to, explain our stories for this whole episode because there's so much to discuss and there's so much so many different things to cover but uh, we will uh, do more of a deep dive into our own histories um, in upcoming episodes so uh, we can certainly uh, you know so the viewers can learn more about uh, uh, about Jen and myself as as we move forward with this so I want to talk about a few different things this evening you know, we talk about a little bit about Jen's history. Uh, Jen was not just raised in the movement, but you know, she was a survivor. All right. So, both of us being uh, formers, you know, former uh, white nationalists, and and uh, yourself being raised in the movement, and uh, myself, basically, my entire adult life was involved in this. Uh, what we're doing now is we're countering violent extremism. You know, we're getting out there. We're speaking about um, some of the things we can do to change things. You know, build peace building, building bridges, and and trying to help uh, in a lot of ways uh, other people that have uh, you know been involved in this life and this lifestyle. I know uh, since I left the movement in March of 2019. Since then, I've I've. Uh, talked with countless people that uh, are leaving the movement or in the process of leaving. So um, I think it's really important that the, the public understands that change is possible. And even for someone that was raised in the movement, like Jennifer, like Jen, um, or someone that has spent 27 years in it, like myself, we're both out of the movement now and we're trying to counter, uh, uh, working diligently to counter that message. So um, uh, your thoughts on that, Jen? Uh, yeah, people can definitely always change. I think a lot of people who are in the movement, they feel stuck because, you know, that's really all you know. Um, even growing up, we didn't have, um, you know, my father didn't have any people hanging around or anything that weren't in the movement. Uh, every weekend, our house was full of skinheads and um you know, if they weren't at our house, we were uh, at another house, uh, you know, with everyone hanging around. Like every Sunday we had Bible study up at a um, somebody's house that called himself a Christian identity minister. And um, yeah, all that I was like the skinheads raised me for the most part. Um, you know, that's all I knew. So when you go to walk away from something like that, it's not just, okay, for instance, I'm not going to go to church on Sundays anymore. It's not like that. It's, you know, it encompasses your whole, our whole lives. So, no, it's, a good, it's a good point. And I'm glad you brought that up because there's a lot of, there's a lot, I think that the average person doesn't understand that uh, is looking at these situations and things like that. I mean, we have, uh, you know, change is possible. It's a difficult thing for a lot of people. And, and sometimes it takes time too. you know, it's not something that uh, um, you just I've had a lot of people ask me since I've been out, they're like, well, what was the, you know, what was the catalyst? What was the what was the reason? And there's no like, for most people, there's no one moment. It's like a whole 
plethora of different things that uh, took place in, in the de-radicalization process uh, mm -hmm. quite often can take can take years, you know, for uh, different, everybody, everybody uh, handles it in a different way. But, um, you know, like you had, you had said, you know, um, there's people in your, in your homes, all the people that were around your family, as I know as well, uh, the people that I was around too, everybody's in the movement. So when you leave the movement, um, it's like, in a lot of ways, I believe it's like leaving a cult, you know, and I, I used to not like that term, you know, when people, <laughs> I, different different uh, girls I dated and things like that. They, if they came around or they came to anything from the move with the movement, they'd say, "Jeff, this is like a cult," and and I'd get angry and I said, "No, it's not. It's not like a cult." And I was like, "Why is one girl after another saying this? Why do they keep saying this thing?" You know. And I never really got it until after I got out and then started the de-radicalization process, mm -hmm. or I call it the decompression period for, for me because I felt like my brain was decompressing to, oh, yeah. um, as you know, when you're getting out of it. And then it was like, oh, now I see because everyone you know just about your whole support network, everybody's involved in the movement. So that, that uh, there's a lot for people to understand that it, it's uh, uh, not easy for anybody, whether you were raised in it or whether you cho uh, chose to be involved in it, it's, it takes a lot. Yeah, the, uh, a lot of times when I was a teenager, I would hear uh, people say, oh, that's just a gang. And I would defend that, you know, <laughs> we're absolutely not a gang. Yeah, it, it is a gang. It's, it's a white gang, <laughs> it absolutely is. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot, there's so many, that's another one of those terms that when we were there in the movement, if someone called it a cult or a gang or anything like that, we were like, no, nope, that's not it. It's not like that. But once you back away and you look at it from the outside looking in, it's very much, it's very much, so it's both of those things, you know, and, and uh, um, it's something I think a lot of people don't see. So uh, definitely, definitely good points. Um, in tonight's uh, episode, um, you know, some of the some of the things that we really wanted to touch on is uh, right now here in America, uh, you know, the whole world's going crazy in a lot of ways. And um, mm. some of the things I wanted to talk about is uh, I think we can all agree. Uh, I think most of the viewing audience, most people in America in general think, uh, you know, saw what happened with George Floyd. Uh, in Minneapolis about a week ago where um, an officer <clears throat> kneeled on his neck for eight minutes until he was no longer able to breathe and, and it's, uh, it was a horrific video um, and a horrific incident and um, uh, where uh, you know a man lost his life and then it came out that uh, several other officers were there was four officers total that participated in this uh, this tragedy so we want to talk a little bit um, tonight about uh, George Floyd, um, you know, we're in solidarity uh, with the peaceful protesters uh, in calling for justice for George Floyd and his family, you know, what happened to him was wrong. But um, so I think we're going to touch on, uh, we're going to touch on those issues tonight. Uh, did you have thoughts on that, Jen? Um, yeah, I just want to say I'm, uh, you know, it upsets me very much what was done to that man. And, um, you know, I have no issues whatsoever with people out protesting as long as it is peaceful because more violence is not going to solve anything. It's just more violence is going to cause more violence and it's just going to ricochet back and forth. It really is a vicious, uh, vicious circle. A lot, a lot of times, um, when I think of the circle of violence, I think of, uh, it brings me to uh, the nation of Afghanistan and the Taliban. Um, it's just one example, but I, I use it quite often when we're um, discussing things like this, where uh, with the Pashtun people in the, in the Taliban, uh, if your father, your uncle, some family member is bombed or taken out, uh, it's the rest of the family's duty under, under their tribal customs, basically, to go after the people that... Uh, that did that, that took a life for a life, you know? So it's like this endless cycle of violence and revenge and, and there's, no, uh, there's no end to it. And I, I think, um, I'm glad you brought that up because I think we're seeing that here in America where now 
like two wrongs don't make a right. You know, we all heard that growing up as kids and, and here what happened to George Floyd was absolutely tragic. And it was, uh, uh, horrifying to anybody that saw the video. And I think most Americans, uh, agree with that, but now, um, the peaceful protesting I think is good. And I, I think it's important and, and all that, but, um, some of what's happened since then with the riotings and the killings and, and, and things like that are, are not, are not helping our nation. They're not helping our, our country to heal. And it seems like in, in some ways, and, and I don't want to be all negative about it, but I mean, there's a lot of good and positive things mm-hmm. going on too, but, um, it, it really bothers me. Some of the, videos and the footage of uh, people dying or, and being violently and viciously assaulted for defending their stores or their friends and family and, and uh, some of the horrific things that we've seen in the last week. Yeah, it's awful. It's awful. And um, I think that people sitting at home and watching or watching from their windows if they live in the cities or anything, um, it's taken away from the original message of the police brutality and, you know, this is wrong and they, and they can't be taking lives like that. No matter what the person may have done, it's not their place to take a, take a life. And, uh, but I think that all the violence is going to, um, it's going to push people to make choices and take a side when they shouldn't have to. Um, whatsoever. And that's what, that's what scares me about the whole thing. Right. And I mean, we're seeing, we're seeing, um, and I, this was one of the main focuses and one of the ideas that where we both, uh, had the idea for, for this program and to discuss this was some of the things that we're seeing, uh, fit right into the old playbook of the movement, you know, where we're seeing some of these, um, some of these narratives where uh, people are talking about race war and civil war and the boogaloo and all these different things where, where people are radicalizing and they are, it plays right into the movement or the extremist handbook because, uh, you know, basically those narratives, those fears, those concerns that people had that when they, you know, from the movement was that, hey, someday the system is gonna break down and there's gonna be a revolution in this country and the movement believes, you know, the far right, excuse me, um, for our viewers, the far right believes they will be the, the saviors and they're gonna come and, and rescue all of America and uh, that's their narrative. Now, on the other side of the extreme, the far left, um, you know, they want, also, you know, here's where the far right and the far left have some similarities. They both want the system to collapse, but for different reasons. And mm-hmm. uh, the leftist extremists we're seeing um, in a lot of cases, and I, I catch a lot of flack for saying anything about, mm-hmm. the, about the left, but I feel like you have to be honest and precise when you're talking about these things and you have to be consistent. So of course I'm going to point out where far right people are involved in some terrible things. And there was um, examples like, for example, in, in Vegas already where they caught some guys um, affiliated with the Boogaloo uh, type of thinking that were going to plant uh, bombs and things like that. So, I mean, I think that's really important to point those things out, but it's also, it would be, we'd be remiss if we were not, uh, uh, pointing out that these are ex- there's extremists involved in this stuff from both sides, and um, uh, we're seeing a whole lot of that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it doesn't do anyone any justice to not point out that it's on. It comes from both sides. Um, any kind of extremism, no matter where it comes from, is is just not a good thing. No matter what, no matter who who it's coming from. Um, and as far as the far right uh, goes, I can tell everyone, as I'm sure you can, that um, the white power movement, right now they're seething at their teeth because this is what they've always wanted. They've been waiting decades for this. It's, you know, it's like, it's like uh, wonderful for them 
they think it's great. So. <clears throat> no, abs absolutely. I mean, that's one of the things um, I've, I've probably spent, a, and I know you have too, but we've both spent an inordinate amount of time uh, looking through news clips, videos, and, and everything about what's gone on in the past week. And um, the chatter I'm hearing from far right side is, hey, we don't even have to do anything. We just got to sit. We're, they're sitting back. They're laughing as America burns and they're waiting. And, um, you know, we've seen the news media, different news media outlets, they, they seem to either uh, push the narrative that it's all anarchists and uh, Antifa on one side um, doing all this. And then there's other media that say that it's uh, white supremacists doing all this. Uh, the truth uh, is that it's somewhere in the middle. There's people from both extremes that are participating in this. But um, one of the, just from my experience, you know, leading the NSM for 25 years and the, as a propagandist as well, um, these incidents and the things that are that are going on a lot of it plays right into the movement playbook this is why the right wing in mass or the far right is not really out there um, that much i mean yeah you have some guys you have some that were arrested and you have some that were doing uh co counterintelligence ops and different things like that uh but for the most part i i see the far right sitting back watching rubbing their hands together and just like you said i mean this is something that they predicted this is something uh they were wishing for and hoping for uh, all, all this time for many many years and now um you know we have where cities are being set on fire and there's really uh rioting and looting and things like that and and uh it, it's really it fits their narrative so i mean they can play the victim and and um and try to be the savior and that's what they're that's what they're looking for and uh, on the far left, it's more of uh, they don't they don't like the system as well, but it's for different reasons. So um, unfortunately, what we're seeing is a lot of middle of the road people becoming radicalized. And I think that's where our expertise comes in uh, now more than ever, because this is something that's not really being discussed is with all what's going on. The public doesn't doesn't see it, unfortunately or maybe fortunately, we do see it because we've been in, we've been involved in extremism in the past and we know the narratives and, and what could come. But my concern is, and I'm a little bit bouncing around all over the place here on the different subjects, but my concern is that if the far right feels like now is their time, that's when we're gonna see some serious mass violence, um, mass Absolutely. shootings, mass bombings. Um, the burning down of businesses and corporations and mom and pop stores, that's not the far right narrative. It, it never has been. It's not, that's not I've, their thing. They're right. more bombing and shooting is more, mm -hmm. you know, something big, you know, mm -hmm. whereas the extreme far left, they don't like the corporations. Um, I'm not quite sure why so many mom and pop businesses have been targeted in different parts of the country. I think it's just like a mass uh, a lot of criminals are taking advantage of a really sad and, and tragic uh, event, and it's led up to a lot more uh, tragedies. Yeah, and and if if it doesn't stop soon, like you said, there's there's going to be something in this country. I fear that will really scare everybody. Do you want to, um, could you elaborate on that a little bit and give, um, give a few insights on what you think could possibly uh, go wrong with this? Well, growing up, <clears throat> I heard, you know, my whole childhood growing up, um, exa exactly what's going on now. Uh, they couldn't, like I said before, they couldn't wait for this to happen. And um, I'm a little bit surprised honestly that they haven't done much of anything yet but at the same time i'm i'm at the same time i'm also not surprised because like you said um they look at the bigger picture and bigger things right now they're just sitting home laughing watching the tv watching everything that's going on and knowing that um 
they, they're not going to have to do anything to, to get people to want to join their groups. It, they're just going to come to them because people are going to see this and uh, Antifa coming in and looting and burning things down. They, the, the normal person, the normal citizen just sitting home watching all this unfold, um, they're going to start blaming everything on Black Lives Matter. And uh, even when it's not, it's mainly, I believe it's mainly not them. I, I believe it's Antifa doing this because that's their, this is their MO. And um, the wrong people are going to be completely blamed. It's going to upset the, uh, the white people and they're going to look to join these groups. So people, you know, they're just reacting to this very emotionally for one thing. I don't think anyone's being logical about it whatsoever. And if they were able to see clearly and think step-by-step step what's going to happen, I would hope that they would change what they were doing. But, you know, no, none of us want racism, you know, to grow. But I fear that that's what's going to happen with this. I, I, I see it. I see it on my own personal social media news feeds, people that I've never seen speak like that before. And um, so that's, you know, that I really feel that's what's happening, unfortunately. I think that's <clears throat> that's a good and important point too is is that a lot of these events are literally radicalizing people that would have never been radicalized before and I think that's the that's the narrative that I think most people are not really seeing. I think the media is missing it. You know, you've got some in the media that are looking for white supremacist boogeymen um, and there is white supremacists that are doing bad things involved in, in this stuff too. And, you know, they're, or they're focusing on that or they're focusing on, um, oh, it's all Antifa or it's all Black Lives Matter or it's, you know, it's, it's putting the blame on different people. But what, what I think the public is not seeing is some of the, I mean, right now, both extremes are getting, are, are getting victories in different, in different ways. The far right, we already discussed, you know, it's their victory because there's all this polarization, there's all this hate and racism, and people that normally wouldn't have been racist that are just middle of the road people are finding themselves, uh, you know, pushed towards one extreme or another. And we don't need any more extremism. Uh, believe me, America, you know, we came out of, the, out of that world and no one is going to like what is going to come of this is if if the extreme left or the extreme right takes a hold of this country um, and, and uses these tragedies as, as their own narratives and, and taking this opportunity, no one's gonna like, uh, it's, it's gonna be the end of America as we know it. And that's mm -hmm. why you know, we're coming to you today and we're trying to discuss these different things and, and to show a different, a different angle of this from people that have, that have been there, that know this world and know this struggle and, uh, and, uh, you know, we're try basically trying to forewarn you, you know, we were involved in peace activism, human rights, we're against racism. Mm -hmm. uh, and what we're seeing now presently is a lot of uh, things that are whipping up racism on all sides. You know, um, you're having uh, different people talking about uh, terrible things. I can say from a propaganda standpoint, like when, um, when I was in the movement, we would always try to find hot button issues. For example, in the NSM, the illegal immigration thing was a big deal. So we put people on the Arizona borders, we did patrols and things like that. And we started recruiting people that we would have never gotten before because they would come wow. to us and say, nobody's doing anything about illegal immigration, but you guys, you're down there on the borders. I want to join, I want to be part of that. So um, that's just one example. And I think like, that's an issue that bothered a lot of Americans, the um, illegal immigrants and, and um, uh, lack of jobs and, and things like that. So it was a pretty hot button issue. And the group um, and a lot of the far right groups took advantage of that and used it as a, a narrative to recruit. Now what we're seeing is basically like the, the biggest fantasy of the far right 
um, mm -hmm. where all the races are, are uh, going at it in some ways or, or you know, these terrible things are happening. And, um, you know, just as uh, you explained uh, a couple minutes ago there, Jen, you know, this is, this is stuff that even that you started hearing about when you were a child, yeah? Yeah, um, I was about two years old the first time I saw my father in his clan robe. So, yeah. And I, and I do remember that. <laughs> I clearly remember that even at two years old. And how then did, I went to school with everyone that he was in the Elks Club and wore a hood. Kind of outed him a little bit, I guess. But because that's what he told me, you know, so. Oh, he yeah. told you that was that Elks uniform? The clan <laughs> robe yeah. was? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't, yeah. though. <laughs> no, <laughs> obviously not. Um, oh but gosh. because I didn't know, so it was a couple years later, you know, maybe I was around seven and I went to school. I remember, I clearly remember telling someone on the bus because I, I think they were talking about their father being in the Elks. I said, oh, so is my dad. Did your dad wear a big hood, white hood? Yeah. <laughs> Thank God. I don't think the kid knew what I was talking about. Right. But, <laughs> those are those are the those are the things that you think about after you're out and you go and you go back and you you backtrack and go wow, you know because yeah. we definitely just like being in a cult, um, you see things differently, and it really until you get out of that bubble or that or that echo chamber that is the movement, you really don't have you're not reflecting on it when you're there, but after you're out, you think back to all these different things and and I find oh, yeah. it and that you know you remember those things back to such an early age and mm -hmm. at the time you didn't really think nothing of it and it was a completely different narrative but now when you see from the outside looking back in it, it, it resonates and you and you get it it comes together doesn't it oh yeah absolutely and um you use the word the phrase echo chamber and that's exactly exactly what it really was um you hear the same phrases right over and over again and uh yeah it's maddening actually when when uh when i finally turned of age to leave and got away um it was just peaceful <laughs> it just seemed so much more peaceful well, definitely i mean when you're in the movement it's like you're at war um with the world you know it's every like, or, yeah your tribe your tribe versus the world and that means versus mm -hmm. other whites that means versus the left that means that's sometimes it's versus the other uh pro uh you know or the white nationalist groups uh oh. everybody you're you're fighting everybody yeah, all of those groups fight each other mm -hmm. there's no unity whatsoever they all like it's normal to have a uh, a big skinhead concert or a rally and see fistfights, bottles breaking, you know, blood flying. <laughs> they just, they fight each other. Yep. All the time. If you, if you haven't, if you had an, uh, especially at the concerts and stuff, if you had one where there was no fighting, that was, that was one to remember, you know, like yeah, it was, remember one there fighting. was no fights at that one. You know, it was, it's, it, it was, you mean nobody stabbed anyone else? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that's exactly that's exactly how it was. Um, so when we talk about um, like some of the different narratives, and like I said about the um, uh, the illegal immigration thing, so insert the movement or the far right or any type of extremist movement, they like to insert themselves in the hot button issues and um, um, to twist it to their own uh, narratives. And what we're seeing now, I mean, we, there's been a lot of I think one thing that I think that is important for us to do is is kind of expand upon some of the other tragedies that have been happening and where we're going with this because I think we could explain it a little better um, exactly why we're saying these things and we're and why we are trying to warn the public that these are the these are the narratives that are going to be used. So we want to to effectively counter violent extremism in general, you have to know what you're up against. You have to know the psychology of it. You have to know why do these people think the way they do and how can we break that sort of thinking 
of these individuals. So um, a few of the things that I have uh, written down that we want to touch base on is, um, for example, uh, David Dornan. Um, he was a retired police officer. I believe he's about 77 years old in St. Louis. And I know uh, we've both seen this. Uh, I believe you've seen, have you seen the video, Jen? Yeah, I have. Awful. Um, horrifying, Horrif horrifying uh, video. Uh, he's laying on the sidewalk. Uh, he had tried to stop some looters from looting a business in St. Louis there. And um, he was shot. Go ahead. I believe it was a pawn shop. He was trying to stop them from, you know, breaking into. Yeah. And then just the uh, the guy who was recording it, who was standing there, just the the pain in his voice was just awful and heartbreaking. You know that, that he you could just hear it how he was just pleading for. He was pleading for peace, really, you know, even if he didn't say those words. That's what, it was awful. It's, it's one of those videos, I think, that at least for me and probably uh, for you as well, you know, there's certain things that, that you've seen in your life, in real life, and also in, in videos of, of real life things that kind of stay etched or stuck in your mind. Do you ever have that? Oh, yeah. Issue? Yeah that's one of those videos that's that's one of those um and same with what happened with george floyd it's a it's another it's another one of those things that stays stuck in your mind and um i want to talk about that a little bit and say from the movement's perspective from the far right's perspective one of the things that we did um i specifically did um as a recruiter in the national socialist movement was we would show people in you know show the group some of the most horrific videos that we could find and, and a usual go-to um, in more recent times especially or or in the past 10 years or maybe even longer than that is a lot of the racial violence that went on in south africa and like there's a video um and i hope nobody watching this has seen it or not too many of you seen it because it's probably one of the most horrific ones that's uh, stuck and etched in my mind, but it was something that we used as propagandists in the movement. It showed a group of blacks taking this white farmer in the street, and it was in the middle of the day in busy traffic, and they were basically stripping this man naked and um, beating him, jumping on his head, throwing chunks of concrete at his uh, privates and you know private parts and and his face and his head and and it was probably one of the most vicious vile disgusting videos i've ever seen in my life and we sent that around in the movement and and showed people and say look this what ha what's happening in south africa this is what's going to happen in the united states if the movement doesn't come to power and we don't you know save our race and people so this was the narrative and um nobody that would watch that video would come away with it and go oh that was nothing i mean that's one of those gross horrific terrible mm -hmm. videos that stays stuck in your mind much like watching uh david dornan take his last breaths on film and much like watching uh the the police officer uh, you know squeeze the life out of out of uh george floyd you know these are images that stay stuck in people's minds so what the movement is doing will they will show their people these videos to radicalize their people and um watching a man die on the on the sidewalk over looters um over a tv set like the guy in the video keeps saying i mean that's that's something that sticks in people's mind and the movement will twist that you know the far right will twist that and say look this is what's going to happen to anyone in america that's defending their businesses I, I know the narrative because that's you know we were there you know uh, mm -hmm. they will twist it to, to their own narrative and like the people that are doing the criminal activities that are doing the burning that are doing the looting the crime we're using this as an opportunity to uh, uh, cause chaos and violence. It's fitting right into the, the extremist narratives. Definitely to divide. 
absolutely absolutely that's that's the that's the whole concept of it right people that uh have the character to do things like that to loot to burn buildings down innocent people's businesses and, and things like that they do not have it in them to even want peace obviously they don't want peace or they wouldn't do things like that um and i wish other people would realize that yeah, and I think it's I think it's really important. Um, you know, I've seen I'm looking at how people, you know, the general public is responding to some of these things, and I'm some in some areas, I'm seeing across the boards people from both sides, from the Democrats, the Republicans, and the main mainstream parties condemning the violence and condemning that stuff. But in other cases, and sometimes even Hollywood stars and and politicians, they're justifying it. They're saying that it's okay to be you know the, the people are mad that's why they're doing that okay well people have a reason to be mad but that doesn't mean you you start burning down cities and and exactly. um, what does that solve it plays into the extremist narrative doesn't it mm -hmm. absolutely um and as far as what you just touched on hollywood um everything that i've read lately the past few days is uh you're right they they're saying People are mad and they are donating money to bail these people out of jail. It's mind blowing. And we want America to heal. You know, I mean, we wouldn't be speaking out against extremism publicly like we are. You know, I mean, it, it takes you put yourself at great risk by by doing so, as, as you know, um, and we'll discuss more about your story in in, uh, in the future and upcoming episodes. And I, I mean, even even what I know about your story, it just absolutely blows me away, you know, that you've had the strength and the resilience to come out of that and drawn so much knowledge and strength and perseverance from that, that I think it's going to be really inspiring for people to hear. And that's why I think it's important that people listen to uh, some of the things that we're trying to say, we're, we're not doing this because um, we have nothing better to do. You know, we're doing this because we care, because we want to, we want America to heal and we're involved in, in peace building activities and what we're seeing um, our fellow Americans from even, even people that were not radical before becoming more and more radical from to one extreme or another and this is the narrative and it is the wish of these extremist groups is to get americans at each other's throats and we're, we're seeing um i mean some of the comments i'm glad i didn't write them down because it's probably best not to even even say but some of the comments just from regular mainstream people i mean i've seen i hope you die you know just vicious horrible things that they're saying to other americans or they're they're showing um they okay here was here's one that i would like to talk about too there was a police officer that resigned uh from the police department because he didn't want to be part of uh of that system anymore and he said he was against it and he he couldn't be a cop anymore and he left and the comments the first comments that came underneath this guy's posts were F you cop, I hope you die. Once a cop, always a cop. I've experienced some of that since I've left the movement where if I say things, especially if I point out that there's violence on both sides, there's people that'll say, you're a Nazi, I hope you die. Yep. You know, vicious, terrible stuff. And yeah. it's not just the far right making threats. It's, it's both, both extremes. Absolutely, both sides. Social media has become a complete cesspool of bullying and hatred and negativity and it's it's awful it's awful I, i'm just like everyone is completely lost their minds completely yeah i mean it's 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 almost like a lot of the public is having a hard time with adulting because we're seeing this this talk about defund the police departments and that was another thing on my list too that I wanted to uh, to touch on was um, like the mayor of Minneapolis and this just just came out today or yesterday um, Jacob Fry is his name um, he's been uh, he's a Democrat and he's uh, left leaning. And he's been very vocal um, in support of 
George Floyd and convicting the officers. He's been somebody that's, um, I don't necessarily agree with all of his decisions, like letting the police departments uh, burn and things like that. I think that was, I think it was signaling, you know, I think if you say, okay, well, it's okay to burn down a police department. I mean, we've never seen anything like that in our lifetimes, but they got at least two of them burned down in Minneapolis because it was like a go ahead uh, to do that. And then a whole lot of the city burned as well unfortunately, but um, that wasn't really going to be the point. But my point was, is, um, and, and this is relevant, but that uh, Mr. Fry was at a rally the other day and um, they asked him if he was willing to defund um, and end, basically end the Minneapolis Police Department. And, um, you know, he was talking about how he's in solidarity with, uh, you know, with the protesters and all this sort of thing. And they kept asking him, they said, no, we want a yes or a no question answer. Will you, you know, end the police department? And he said, no. And they literally booed him out of that event. Like you can I see. I saw that video. Yeah. Incredible, incredible uh, polarization as far, you know, like here's one of their, the strongest voices I thought of the protest movement. Um, and they wanted to get rid of the police and he didn't agree with that. And he was basically run out of this protest. Um, I think what do they think going to happen without a police department? Tell us what, what do you think? What I mean, explain it. All hell will happen? break loose. I right. mean, to put it simply, like what, that just blows my mind that people, people have lost all logic. just it's going to be mad chaos it, it, it would be like a purge yeah yeah it would be like a movie purge which That's you know some already look like but i just that's just mind-blowing i mean i am all for um you know standing up against police brutality it's happened to me so I know it happens, clearly. I know many people it's happened to, unfortunately. But we still need law and order in this country. Yeah, I agree. I agree 100%. I mean, yes, the police brutality is out of, out of control. And I think that there's a lot of things that need to be done to, to, to fix that. And um, I think what a lot of people are forgetting is that Yes, there's bad people in the police departments. What happened to George Floyd, Breonna uh, Taylor, and um, and so many other people throughout history even have been victimized by bad cops. But that does not mean that everybody in the police departments are bad. I mean, that I think that fits an extremist narrative right there is the, the whole ACAB and... I know you yeah. wanted to talk about that too, um, but that, that fits that narrative as well. Um, we have to remember, these are human beings. These are people that, are, that have families at home, they're going to work, and, and, I, and I can already hear the other side of the extreme going, how come he's, he's apologizing or, or, or making room for the police when they've brutalized all these people? the people that they've brutalized and the people that have lost their lives like George Floyd and so many countless others had families and things like that too. So I'm, I'm definitely not picking sides in any of this, you know, I mean, both of us, we're against extremism and we're trying to find this middle of the road, happy place or this positivity in the mm -hmm. center where most Americans really are, where they want their safety and security and all that. But getting rid of the police departments, as wonderful as that sounds on paper, there's a lot of other things that sound wonderful on paper, too, um, that don't work in reality. And I think even the best intentioned people, um, if you have no police and you have no law and order, the most violent and the most vicious and the most psychotic of killers and um, just anarchists and, and people that want to destroy and not all anarchists are violent I, I i feel like i need to explain some of these things as we go because people pick apart everything that you say and will say look he said all anarchists want to burn and destroy and that's not true either but i'm saying the worst elements of the extremes will use these opportunities to destroy america because that's what they, they oh want. yeah 
it, it would be like the wild west worse than the wild west really um i, I mean without the police and uh, what about all the children that are kidnapped the abused children you know people don't think about these things they just let their emotions take over and they just start screaming things that they hear the next person screaming that's what I really think it is. People are, a lot of people right now are just parroting each other. Kind of like we did in the movement. Same thing. Absolutely. It's like a herd mentality where they, it's like exactly. a, a guy's laying in the street. He's knocked unconscious or, or completely out of it. And people go up and start kicking his teeth out or, or jumping on his head. And I've seen, I know you have too, but we've seen some of those, those videos just vicious, vicious stuff. Like people are, and a lot of times I think the public doesn't want to hear it from people, you know, that have been in the movement, um, hear these things because they say, oh, well, you're no better. You know, you used to do those things too. But we talk about change and we talk about the past and in the past, yes. You know, I mean, I was a, I was not a good person. I wanted there to be a race war. I wanted there to be a civil war. I wanted the country to break down. Uh, and whether it's through age, wisdom, the de-radicalization process, uh, not approving of racism and hate and all these sort of things, that um, once you have a grasp on that and you're out of that echo chamber or out of that cult-like bubble, um, you see these things. And I think... Um, you know, now it's almost like our inherent duty to like struggle against that and fight against that. And that's why, um, you know, we're speaking out to, you know, the public today and, and in the past and in the future as well. Yeah, it, I think it's important. It's very important um, to speak out. But when I speak out, I want to speak out with the truth. Um, I, I don't want to just... I refuse to be what, like what I was just saying, just a parrot repeating things that, you know, other people want me to say. No, I think, I think that's really important. Um, and I'm glad you, you said that because I think that's what we're seeing a lot of, like you have a lot of really good intention people um, that are trying to make sense of everything and trying to break down and, and form their own narratives and their own opinions. And in a lot of cases, they're just, they're parroting things or they're falling into that herd mentality where normally, um, you know, you have say one individual here that's smashing a, a window of a Nike shoes or something. And uh, another guy standing next to him that probably would have never done that in his life. And then he sees five people rush into the Nike store to grab a, a, a pair of shoes they go i'm gonna do that too and then all of a sudden you've got somebody that normally wouldn't have done that that um is following that herd mentality and um a lot of people are i feel like are losing their their humanity in in this mm -hmm. process they're not thinking about hey that man that i just shot for a television set that's dying and taking his last breaths here was somebody's grandfather with somebody's father, somebody's brother, mother, sister. They're, they're, not, they're not thinking of these things. And I know um, all the years that I spent in the movement, as I was getting out, you know, when it's the last few years that I was in the movement, I started talking about how white people were being dehumanized and how people, specifically people in the movement were being dehumanized. Like that was a big talking point for me the last couple of years. It wasn't in a lot of interviews because people didn't want to hear it and they didn't want to cover it. And I was like, man, why are people not covering this? Um, the movement's being dehumanized. And it, it's so hypocritical. You know, it's like, it wasn't until I got out that I was like, man, nobody called me out on this. Nobody said, here's the Nazi party leader talking about dehumanization. How hypocritical. Nobody did that. Um, mm -hmm. But I said it to myself after the de-radicalization process or during that process, I was like, man, nobody, nobody called you out on that, Jeff. Like, how could you talk about dehumanization when you spent a lifetime dehumanizing others and the movement did the same thing? So I think it's an interesting psychological point, though, for the people in the movement, they started 
realizing or started seeing or feeling that they were being dehumanized or treated less than. And I think a lot of, a lot of the narrative that's out there with the public, even other formers, a lot of them will tell people that the movement was all based on hate and everything um, about them and why they were involved was about hate. I've met those types of people in the movement that are just completely motivated by they hate black people or they hate Jewish people and they, and it's, and it is all about hate for them. But those are the, um, the hate I feel like is developed in there. It is, it's not something that we're born with. We're not born racists or hate mongers or anything like that. I think it's developed. And I, I think, and I believe that a lot of people, I know I thought this way and a lot of other people, most of the people that I knew in the movement felt like the white race was under attack and they were on the defensive. And I, the common narrative to the public is that the movement is on the offensive and they're out to hurt and oppress everybody. But in the minds of the people that are in the movement, they think they're defending their people. They're doing something brave and noble and something good. If your motive, if your only motivation is I hate everybody and I just want to be involved in this because I don't like everybody, you're going to burn out. You're not going to stay in there, especially for any length of time. It's just not, it doesn't make any sense. Um, but when you truly believe in something and you, and you see that as a righteous cause, you're defending your people, your blood, all that sort of thing. That's why they say even with religious extremists, if they believe that they have God on their side. And it's the same way with um, Al-Qaeda and ISIS, Islamic extremists, Christian identity on the white, uh, uh, white nationalist side, or, or um, it, it can be tailored mm -hmm. to fit any religion. But if, if you feel like you're doing something noble and something good, you have more uh, motivation to do that than rather than something negative, like just hating, hating people. So I think that's another important thing that, that people need to realize uh, in breaking down the narratives, taking away the narratives. If we want to get people out of whatever form of extremism they're involved in, whether it's religious, whether it's white nationalist, whether it's far left, we have to listen, we have to engage in dialogue, and we have to treat these people like human beings. And I know that's hard for a lot of people to, to do and envision, but I know in my own de-radicalization process, it was some of the kindness of even people from the left and people of other races and other religions that uh, helped me to see a lot of the things that I was, that I was missing. So I think it's really important that we have dialogue with the so-called other, with other people, even if we disagree with them, instead of throwing things or, or fighting or getting violent or screaming and name calling, that if we just had discussions and dialogue, I think a lot, it would make a lot of difference. What do you think? Absolutely. Um, you just talking about this brought me back to a memory from one of the times I was on Jerry Springer's show. And Jerry Springer sat there and he, he wasn't, he wasn't kind to me. <laughs> he just wasn't, even though I was a kid and Jerry Springer stood there and told me, um, that I, I was ruined. And I, and I said, I'm ruined. And he says, yes, you're ruined. And then kind of just kept talking about something else then. And this is all, you know, it's all on video. Um, that didn't make me, want to love him <laughs> you know that 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 didn't make me want to love him or um anyone he had anything to do with there's another episode i don't believe it was the same episode there's another episode i did where they brought in uh niger Innes, and he sat there and, you know, there was a dialogue between my father, August, and him and me. I never forgot that man. He was kind. He said, uh, I don't remember verbatim exactly what he said, but, um, you know, he had hope that I would grow up and not be full of hate and maybe even go to college and do something with my life. Those are the things I remember. Those are the things that, that... Um, that I'll forever appreciate. I reached out to him. I found him on social media last year and it was kind of, I, I felt like I had to uh, tell him how much that meant to me all these years later. You know, so those are the things um, 
that'll help people get out of the extremist groups. Because if you're going to be hateful towards them, hate breeds hate. Nothing else is going to come of that. That's an that's an incredible um, story, and and you're absolutely correct. And and even in my own my own process, meeting uh, filmmaker Dia Khan, um, who did the film uh, White Right, meeting the enemy. Uh, mm -hmm. Her and I are friends to this day. She was, and, and she's on the left, and uh, her and I should not be friends, you know? I mean, we're, we made friends when I was still in the movement, and we were like, we should not be getting along, we should not be friends, you know? But because we, we were so different, but she's an absolutely incredible human being, and her thing is talking and listening and hearing what people have to say, and she's so compassionate and kind that it, I don't think anybody can't see it. Um, Daryl Davis is another one, uh, another good friend of mine. Um, and he's uh, a famous musician. He used to play with Chuck Berry and uh, a lot of other famous musicians. And he's famous on his own. Uh, he's an incredible musician and an incredible person. And Daryl's hobby is um, he de-radicalizes people in the movement and specifically uh, the Klan. And I, just on his own, Daryl's de-radicalized like over 200 Klansmen That's using awesome. these, these same tactics, you know, like awesome. talking, like dialogue, just just like um, the, the man you mentioned and uh, you know, in your life. So, I mean, these are similarities that we both have that that helped us, that resonated with us, um, you know, in, in those difficult times because... Um, and, and I've talked about this before, too, and I think it's important. A lot of people um, believe the whole mantra of punch a Nazi in the face or, you know, the dehumanization of people in the movement is real. You know, I mean, that is correct. But mm -hmm. the hypocrisy, like uh, the hypocrisy, what I was talking about was the movement people do that to other races. So it's sort of like, evens itself out like you've dehumanized now you're getting it you know it, it's, it's sort of like what you had said about hate begets hate um if you treat somebody in a no one's no one has ever left a movement by getting punched in the face um, right that'll they're going to that's going to make them stay in the movement absolutely absolutely I mean, that, that's just it. So I think when people talk about wanting others to come out and um, walk away and things like that, um, the polarization or the not accepting of that, like the police officer um, that said, you know, he was leaving his job um, and people were like, screw you, cop, you need to die because you were a police officer. And we, you know, as former uh, white nationalists, get that too sometimes there's there's some people out there that will never accept that change is real or believe in it or support it or they think um they believe that uh, because of our past that we must grovel and um you know make I'm trying to think of the right words, the right way to put this, but really that we owe society a great debt and, th and things of that nature. And I do believe that we do to, a, to an extent. Um, I'm ashamed of my past and, and the things that I participated in and, and all that, but I'm, I'm trying to use my skill set and my knowledge and the, and the leadership skills and the things that I acquired there and what I, what I was good at for good things now, you know, to do something positive and to do something good. So I think, um, and not to even make it personal because it, that's not what it's about. But when I see all these other people that are, I mean, we're work, working with different people all the time that are kind of on the fence. A lot have left, some are still involved and some are on the fence about leaving. And I feel like um, there's things that will radicalize those individuals to stay and there's ways that they can, you know, come out of there and actually leave the movement. Very few people that have left extremism speak out, speak out about it like we do. You know, we are in the, definitely in the minority in that sense because it's dangerous, it's difficult, and admitting you are wrong sucks, especially as, uh, I could say, as a man, uh, getting up in front of crowds of people and talking about I was wrong. It was, it's really difficult. It's, 
Uh, Jen, thank you so much for being on uh, the, the program, uh, Beyond Barriers. I look forward to having many more conversations with you. I think there's so many more subjects that, uh, that we need to tackle going forward. Um, you have an incredible wealth of information and your story is, is something that I really think the public needs to hear. And we're going to expand upon that in, in future episodes. But thank you so much for uh, joining the program this evening. It was an honor to have you here. Do you have anything else you'd like to say in closing? Say thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. And uh, I am very grateful for what you've been doing too. I know that um, for me just being around it for so long, I know how hard it must have been for you to get away and then step onto that stage. Um, not just the first time, but every time. So thank you for what you're doing. Thank you.